Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Phil, good day to you on this Sunday morning. Quite rainy where I am, imagine it's much the same with you. We've really enjoyed the reaction to our Alan McManus episode last Monday night, haven't we? Great numbers, great reception. We've been, we've been basking in it really since. It really was a special episode, wasn't it? Yeah, superb. Yeah, great to be here as always. Um, yeah, we really enjoyed that. Um, I think going into that, we knew it was going to be be a long old, uh, long old recording, and uh, we weren't wrong. But it was great, and I'm glad that uh, everyone seems to have enjoyed it because, uh, yeah, when we put out sort of a feature length episode like that, I don't know if people are going to get bored. But uh, Alan's such a great talker, then uh, it's difficult to get bored listening to him. Um, it was superb. So yeah, thanks again to him. Gave us a lot of his time, and we really appreciated it. We certainly did, and. As you say, I don't think we meant it quite to be that kind of uh, length. Absolute marathon affair. Um, and I did laugh at, um, at, a, at some of our correspondents and in particularly people suggesting that they're going to sort of break it up. And one of our correspondents saying, like, like the world final, it was our, our friend Justin said, it's going to be like the world final, uh, do it in four sessions. So people were having sort of cheese and pickle sandwiches, with the podcast all week, Phil. You know, it, 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 it filled a number of lunch breaks for people. So uh, we were really pleased about that. And as you say, he has so many interesting things to say about the game. I mean, I could listen to Alan reading out the phone directory, couldn't you? Yeah, but some people are just blessed with a lovely voice, aren't they? Uh, and that just makes things all the easier to listen to, yeah. Um, and it's, uh, we've said this about other guests. We get to the end and we think we've gone a bit too long, but could have asked him all sorts uh, more than we did. So hopefully we'll be back on again sometime and we'll do the rest of it. Um, but yeah, in terms, in, when we put on these really long ones, yeah, I mean, hopefully people listen to them. Uh, they can do it all in one if they want, but uh, do it over a week. It reminds me of when uh, 
The Irishman came out on Netflix a couple of years ago, and it was it was too long, really. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a big film guy, so I thought it was too long. Um, but then people released um, like how to watch it as a mini series rather than a film. And I think the real film buffs got a bit annoyed with that, but I was all into that. Watch it in 45 minute chunks. That was more like it. <laughs> Definitely, Justin Barnes. It was. Let's uh, hello to you, Justin. Let's give you. Credit. We've got a couple of questions in a little bit late, unfortunately. And Justin was one of them, so we, we weren't able to ask that. But being a natural completist, I might try and get an answer from Alan to those questions and, and get those answers out there at a future time. Uh, he's certainly been enjoying himself, hasn't he, with, with some beautiful walks and, uh, and pictures he's been putting up So and, and playing at St Andrews. He's a busy man. But listen, we're, we're not in charge of Alan Malice's diary, Phil, but we know where he's going next, don't we? Because it's Milton Keynes. That's the next event on the agenda, the English Open, and the main reason for this new episode. We look forward to the second Home Nations event of the season. Well, we'll turn to that in a, in a moment, but let's first of all sort of wrap up a little bit more the qualifying action. Maybe first thing to say, Phil, is get well soon to Mark Williams. Unfortunately, he's had COVID, and, you know, we've known throughout the pandemic that, you know, some people are asymptomatic, some people suffer really badly, some people, some people are a bit in between. But in the sort of scale of how much you're affected. He seems to be quite unwell, so we obviously wish him well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think people almost assume that you are asymptomatic because especially sportsmen do have to test quite a lot, um, that you assume there's nothing wrong with him. But yeah, but judging by what he said on social media, he's not well at all. So yeah, best wishes to him. And um, it's, it's a shame sporting-wise as well. Obviously, health is the main thing, but for him to miss out on qualifying for the European and to miss out on the English in this week coming because um, he's had a great start to the season. He's been playing really well. So we would have certainly fancied his chances on some deep runs there. But um, yeah, best wishes to him. Hopefully he's fit and firing and back for the champion of champions, I guess, will be his next one then. Yes, of course, that's now a couple of weeks away. Um, the German Masters qualifiers, we mentioned them a bit uh, last week when we were joined by Alan McManus. And we were saying he had a bit of everything, the Tep Chaya 147, uh, was was a real highlight of those. But maybe one thing to say is that we won't be seeing a lot of big names in Berlin. This seems to happen quite often with the German Masters. This time, we're not going to see two members of the class of 92, Ronnie O'Sullivan and John Higgins, no Stuart Bingham, no Ding. And the thing I was thinking is, though, that because it's such a short, sharp tournament in Berlin, I think it's only five days, isn't it, when we actually get out there, the qualifying was almost, you know, double the length of the tournament, I think, or around that sort of scale anyway. Um, and I always think that tournament tends to sort of survive and still thrive, even if big names are missing, because it's so exciting. It's short. It's that venue. Um, so while it's a shame, you can still see it being another good addition, despite the fact we will miss those names type of thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I suppose it's the same in most tournaments that come in with one, two, eight players. There's always two or three that are gone by the by the last 32. So I suppose it's not different. It just feels different because they haven't even got to go to Berlin at all. Um, but yeah, it'd be a shame. it's a shame how, how Ronnie went out and uh, and Higgins as well. But um, yeah, there's always there's always it always seems when there's two or three big shocks that are like oh wow there's big players missing, but they're still sort of the the vast majority of the top 16. So it's not like we're short of big names. But yeah, it's still going to be a great time to look forward to and. Uh, I think we both said we're going to try and be there if we can. And uh, if we can, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I, I, the thing about this, this COVID era, sorry to return to the dreaded C word, um, <laughs> is, is that 
Um, I, I find promises are very hard to make. And yeah. I, I find my trust levels are hovering around about zero. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one or two percent if I, if I manage to muster some optimism. But generally, I, I find that, you know, we're both going to Milton Keynes, aren't we? All being well, um, mm-hmm. come to. Um, and, and yeah, actually, that should be fine. I'm still sort of trotting around the country as, a, as much as I can seeing different sport. But when it comes to a sort of, you know, further afield you always think things change so quickly but yes that that's kind of that's kind of the intention isn't it um i thought i'd get my glass half empty stuff out there phil first um but european masters qualifiers well big names out there as well uh stuart bingham out beaten five three by fraser patrick stephen Maguire out beaten five one by ashley carty and then last night well mark allen beaten 5-4 by Sonny Akani. Uh, terrific win for him. Breakers 90 in the decider to win it. Just shows, Phil, that's the nature of, of, of the snooker season and how tough and hard it can be. Mark Allen, absolute glory in Belfast a couple of weeks ago, back down to earth. But I'm sure he'd be the first to say that's what the tour is like. So much competition. And uh, we obviously won't see him in the European Masters but um, yeah, a few big names out there um, and an interesting sort of set of qualifiers. We also had John Higgins having a scare, beating Chris Wakeling 5-4. Uh, Kyron Wilson beat Lou Haoshan 5-2. Uh, Stephen Hendry lost uh, 5-3 against Lee Hang. Uh, an escape for Dave Gilbert beating Jimmy Robertson 5-4. But yeah, those big names out, and uh, including Alan, just shows it, you know, it can be tough even with those big names. Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't watch that Alan game, but just looking at the stats... It doesn't look like he did much wrong. I think he made a, a one, three, six, three more half centuries. But Akani, um, you know, this is must be one of his best performances. He made a one, three, five himself, and then, as you say, a nineteen decider, two more half centuries. Um, so yeah, it looked like a, a superb match, really. Um, so it's not like Alan's fallen off a cliff after Northern Ireland. He did. He played all right there. Yeah, um, I did watch the Gilbert Robertson match because I was expecting that to be good because. They've been two of the form players of the season so far, winning loads of games. And um, Robertson was 3-0 up, looked great. Uh, so it's great fighting from Gilbert. He's in such a good place, as I say, winning so many matches. Um, he's fighting spirits there as much as the quality. So, yeah, he's uh, he's won every single first-round match so far this season. So And his and his hopes to get back up the rankings, that's what's going to help because you just got to you can't afford those ones where you go to a tournament and come away with nothing. Um, so yeah, we're going to get onto the English, but he's definitely going to be a dark horse there. Maybe even not a dark horse. I guess just a genuine contender. I think so, and he must be one of those. And you get players like this in good form. We know he's just, just had his first ranking win. He, he must sort of know, even if it's sort of in the back of his mind, that he's kind of got to uh, really look at delivery now, isn't he? This is the this is the time. Strike while the iron's hot. We, we said it a few times on here now, and I personally think there's a big a big win potentially, not just any win, a big win around the corner somewhere. So we'll wait and see with him. But yeah, he, he, he's developed a new kind of mental approach, in my opinion. He looks, I mean, it's one of those, it, it almost visibly can see that it's an enormous weight has come off his shoulders. And you can kind of see that. He's, he's almost gliding around. It's a different sort of Dave Gilbert, isn't it? And uh, listen, competition is so tough, as we say all the time, but... But he, yeah, he, he he's really looking good, and uh, I bet Lisowski must look over to him a little bit and think, well, you know, that's the prize for me when I eventually get over the line, you know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, I mean, Gilbert was playing sort of this well a couple of years ago, wasn't he? When he got to the semis, of the worlds, but yeah. this seems even better, really. Um, 
just as I say, winning sort of completely or fighting back. And yeah, I, I was thinking the same. And it sort of it almost seems a bit harsh saying like, oh well, you've got to win another one. Uh, but I do think that if you when you're in this sort of purple patch, I was going to say red hot purple patch, but there's too many colours I think there. Um, but it, it, yeah, you got to hope that you got to you got to strike then when uh, because as much as he clearly has the the win uh, the Championship League has taken him to the next level. Um, form does come and go, so you want to you want really want to cash in while it's there, and it clearly is there. So yeah, he'll be one to watch in in every tournament up till Christmas now, and then we'll see where we are from there. Yeah, you can never have too many colours in this sport, Phil. <laughs> That's the thing. We live for them, don't we? Um, yeah, let's move on to the English Open then in Milton Keynes. Maybe the first thing to say is Milton Keynes. I say we, we're both intending to be there for bits of the tournament. You at the start, me at the end. There's a crowd there at last. And for the public there, it, it's a nice chance, isn't it? Because let's say it again. I know it had its distractors, detractors a bit. And it's, oh, you know, Milton Keynes. It was almost became a bit of a sort of, not a joke, but a bit of a sort of running theme as to illustrate how difficult times were. But really, our primary emotion should be thanks and gratitude, shouldn't we? Because that, that, that place kept the tour running in dark times. And it meant we could watch snooker when things were really bad. I think about last winter, but being able to watch the UK and the Masters was special. So we're looking forward, I think, to seeing the, the sort of setup there for the first time, aren't we? Because we know how, how, how good it was, particularly in the pandemic, the players being able to stay there on site. And for the public, let's hope for good numbers because, you know, it's a big catchment area there, isn't it? So I see no reason why, you know, we can, can't look to, you know, some decent numbers, maybe not early on, but certainly as the tournament goes on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I don't know if this was part of the part of the reasoning behind it, but yeah, it certainly seems like a nice reward for everything that arena gave to the sport last year because it was it was enormous and it was nice to get some people in there and hopefully make them some money back. I suppose I don't know how much I don't know about anything about the finances of what it was like for them last year, but uh, it was a strange setup playing the whole year behind closed doors. But hopefully they'll get some more revenue in because of this. Um, and yeah, in terms of numbers, I mean the moving to the qualifying rounds this year for the home nations you would hope that this monday where it's full of top players um that should attract some crowds in um it's got all the big names there so hopefully that will do for that and yeah looking forward to go there on there monday to wednesday uh, and as you say it's uh it, <laughs> i think it was sort of a lot of ronnie comments his usual sort of uh sideways look at things but he was quite critical about going there all the time wasn't he but um i think most people a accepted it for what it was, and B actually said it's a, it's a nice enough venue. The hotel's nice, quite interesting having a football pitch right there that you can look out onto. Um, so yeah, other than the usual sort of Ronnie Ronnieisms, there weren't too many complaints from Milton Keynes. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. That was a nice, polite way of saying it uh, about Ronnie. So, was it a sideways look at things? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very good. I like that. Um, well, hopefully we have the, the odd sideways look at things here as well, Phil. But one thing I will say, and um, don't necessarily mean to be negative, but it, it has struck me that the English Open out of the three sort of new home nations is perhaps not the ugly sister type thing, but it's the one that's maybe struggled to kind of get a, an identity. Although Scottish has suffered recently, actually, of course, with no event, you know, last year for the pandemic. And now it's in Wales this time. So maybe that's suffering as well. But Northern Ireland, to me, is far ahead. It's got a proper fixed venue. And the English Open has been nomadic. 
in Manchester, Barnsley, Crawley, Milton Keynes. And I went to the Barnsley and Crawley venues for the tournament, actually, and probably so they both left a little bit to be desired, probably. Um, but, you know, it's difficult because obviously with English, you know, there are so many tournaments in England, you can't necessarily find something that gives it its own identity. Plus, the finals haven't been quite as strong. Certainly as Belfast, last year was superb. Judd Trump beating Neil Robertson 9-8. But there have been a couple of really one-sided ones. I mean, Selby, that Selby Gilbert one was one of them. And I think Kyron had a, a, a real thumping defeat to Ronnie as well in yeah. the, one of them as well. So it, it's not a bad tournament. It's a very good tournament. We'll look forward to it. But it hasn't quite got that. It doesn't feel like it's one thing or the other type thing. And I wonder now whether MK might become the permanent home. Because I think one, once a tournament gets a permanent home, that's a really important sort of building block, if you like. Yeah, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And I think it's just because of the, the vast number of tournaments that are in England that, as you say, it's difficult to stand out. Um, and, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to sound too snobby or anything here, but... Yeah, like Barnsley. I mean, I'm a Barnsley fan. I'm from that part of the world, so I'm allowed to say things like this. You know, it's, it's not the most glamorous destination, is it? And it, neither was Crawley. I mean, again, some Ronnie comments there. That that was typical O'Sullivan, really, on that. that you could definitely see where he's coming from. You know, the K2 Leisure Centre in Crawley isn't great. He went too far saying it smelt of urine and calling it a hellhole and stuff. That was too much. But he had a point. It wasn't very good. Um and there's not much cachet when you're sort of talking to non-snooker fans and saying, like, oh, I'm off to the English Open. It's a big ranking tournament. Oh, where's that? Oh, Crawley or Barnsley. Um, you know, Manchester was um, was more like it, from my point of view, the first one in 2016. So, um, yeah, uh, I'll, anyone from these places will uh, not be liking what I'm saying, but it'd be, I think it would be better if it found a home in a in a... City, Manchester, Liverpool, somewhere, Birmingham, maybe Newcastle, um, and got a nice venue in a, in a in a big city, and it could stay there. Um, I'd like to see something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, and you're right about the finals. Last year was comfortably the best, and it was really good. Um, Robertson, I think, was seven four ahead. He was comfortably ahead, ended up losing nine eight. Um, and it was a really good tournament. Beat Selby in the semis. Um, so yeah, uh, and I suppose the first one was maybe more memorable by Liang Wenbo beating Judd Trump in the final, and he was loving it. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's been good, it's not been as good as the other home nations, I'd say, but um, still something to look forward to. No, no, definitely, yeah. That Manchester venue is, I know where it is, I didn't go that year, it's quite out, out of town, really. And there was an issue with rain coming down on the roof, I think, if memory mm. in that final. But, uh, and the crowds weren't that great. So I sound like I'm going all negative on it, there, but then, then to turn around and say that that's the kind of place you're kind of looking for. But I do feel that. I like the, you know, the big city idea. But, you know, not just to ingratiate uh, myself and ourselves with friend of the podcast, Michael Day, but we've had, not just him, but a few people have said, you know, Southwest. And I know they have Wales events, and so that's not too far for some people in the Southwest. But I wonder if, a, I mean, listen, it's, it's down to venue as ever. I wonder if there's anywhere in Bristol or Plymouth that could really host it. You'd like to think there would be. And I wonder if something like that could work. But again, you know, um, it, it's not easy. Everyone wants a piece of the action. Mm. And to find a suitable venue that can cater for all the players and the other people that are there, media and 
and officials and what have you isn't necessarily easy. But we, as you say, we are looking forward to the tournament very much. The second of the home nations. It has been the first for most of its run, if not all of its uh, mm-hmm. um, since, since these tournaments opened. But it's now number two. Uh, Scottish, of course, to come just before Christmas. I've got to say, I'll just say there that Bristol would certainly get my vote. I love it down there. Great yeah. city. So, yeah, if, if we could do it in Bristol, then all for that. It's a smashing town, Bristol. And to go off on a bit of a tangent, you know, um, I know a lot of people in my life that have moved to Bristol in the last five, ten years. Now, you do get a bit of a leaving London thing. Obviously, I'm in London, as I think I mentioned a few times on here. And it, it strikes me, you know, I've been down there a fair bit in my life. It's very livable, you know. I don't often mm-hmm. go places and think, oh, I could live here. But that, that's got that vibe about it. It's a lovely town. And I wonder now, uh, in this era where people can work from home more, whether it will become even more popular, that, that kind of part of the country. Of course, you've got Bath nearby. That's a beautiful town, a beautiful city. But yes, um, listen, it's not easy. And I, I also like the idea, while saying that, of MK maybe having some kind of permanent reward and certainly could be there for the next sort of five years type thing and, you know, have something in the bank for kind of all, all that effort that, that was put in by everybody there to keep the sport going. We kick off tomorrow in the UK, Monday, Phil, at, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I know you'll be there for that opening day. And listen, it's a bit like Belfast early on in that loads of big names are in action. The first set of matches are Anthony McGill against Gao Yang, Stephen Maguire, Mark King, Kyron Wilson, Nopon Sankham and Ding Junhui against Andrew Padgett. Well, McGill's had some qualifying wins in the last week or two, but you still feel maybe he needs to get his season properly going. And, uh, well, I looked at Gary Yang's results um, while, while thinking about this match, and he's beaten Stephen Hendry, Zhao Gudong and David Lilly in the last couple of weeks in qualifying. So, uh, you know, very good for him. Interesting match. Now, Stephen Maguire, Mark King, you may well have looked at this, Bill, but I'm going to do it anyway, a bit of a sportsman's kind of guess. Can you guess the year that these two first met? Ooh, I haven't looked at that. That's a good question. So um, you're allowed to throw me one soon as well, okay? How's that? It's only a bit of fun. Yeah, 2005. Well, do you know what? Part of the reason I asked it is because it was much earlier. I think I'd have gone similar. Certainly in that ballpark, three, four, five type thing. Actually, 99. And you think... Wow, yeah. Unless, unless that's a Metcalf uh, mistake, of course. I, I make very, very few of those, as you know. But <laughs> the, the occasional one does slip through. But as far as I'm concerned, looking up, it was the 1999 UK Championship, last 64, uh, King winning 9-2, which reminds us how different that tournament used to be. Mm. Um, but, but yes, I thought... Not to be mean to Mark King, we kind of know what sort of age he is, but I thought, is Maguire that old? But, you know, it seemed like he should be, but that's how long he's been around, you know. But, um, yeah, King won that, but Maguire's well up in the head-to-heads, actually. Uh, Kyron Wilson, Nopon, Sankam. uh, Well, Kyron was knocked out in Northern Ireland early, so he'll want to progress further than that. And, uh, well, Nopon won 4-0, actually, in their only previous meeting at the uh, 2018 uh, Welsh Open and uh, Nopon had a good win over John Higgins in German Masters qualifying. He's obviously in decent form. The Ding, I mean, that is, I messaged you about Ding, didn't I, a couple of days ago? And he hasn't won a match for months and months. And you really think he start, needs to start winning them. Uh, Favourite against Padgett to do so. Uh, Padgett has found wins kind of hard to come by in the opening months of this season. But have you got anything particular to say about those four? I mean, um, do you also share those concerns about Ding? 
Yeah, um, I actually, his last win was in Wales and I spoke to him after that and it <laughs> just seemed like an awful long time ago because it was. Um, and that's when I did an interview with him actually and he was saying how he'd not seen his uh, wife and daughter for months and months and months because they're in China and he has been back over there. So there are sort of circumstances. He hasn't played much so far this season. He only played one match. And uh, I would say that I think three three games he's lost since that last win were deciding frames. He lost to Ronnie um, at, was at the Players' Championship. He lost to Bingham at the Worlds in a decider. And then his one game this season was in a deciding frame defeat to Mark Davis. So um, he's, he's not, com- <laughs> he's not uh, completely forgotten how to play snooker, but uh, he's certainly not sharp or match, pra- uh, match sharp because he's not played much. Um, so yeah, I don't think I don't think it's the end of Ding just yet, but uh, certainly he needs a win. It's a it's a really long time to go without that. And I suppose knock on against Kyron was one that I flagged as a potential early upset, just because Kyron hasn't played very much. And knock on's seemingly in very good form, as you say, knocked out Higgins in the German, and then won his second match against Jack Jones to get to the to the main stages. And then he played yesterday. We're recording this on Sunday. He played on Saturday. Beat C. Jiuhui 5 0 in the European. So he's clearly in good touch. Um, Kyron always takes some beating, but if there was going to be one or two that you'd pick out as potential upsets, I guess, I guess Knockbon against Kyron is one of them. Yes, definitely. I, I'd agree with that. And maybe I'll let you talk about the, the next set of matches, uh, which will be, unless I've missed any out here, I think it should be Judd Trump, Matt Sell. Barry Hawkins, Rianne Evans, Sean Murphy, Dwayne Jones, and Jan Bintow, Aaron Hill. Really interesting ones there. Yeah, the afternoon session. Uh, um, Trump and Celt have played each other loads of times. Celt's actually beaten Trump five times, um, although always in sort of minor, either the Championship League or um, those old European Tour events. Um, and Celt's not had a, the best start of the season, really. Um, so you've got to go with Trump there, especially his record in these... Uh, best of sevens, early doors. He, he's very reliable. Um, Rianne's still looking for her first win of the tour. Um, I saw a tweet after she played the other day and she sounded quite frustrated that she's not t- taking a practice game onto the main table, which, you know, it's the frustration of so many players. Um, and that, I mean, that would be a, a serious way to get your first win if you could beat Barry Hawkins in a major tournament. Um, Hawkins will obviously be clear favourite, as will Sean Murphy against Dwayne Jones. And Yambing Tower, Aaron Hill is an interesting one. Um, Aaron Hill picked up a win the other day. I can't remember who it was against, but it was his first win for a little while, I think. Let me just get that up. Oh, yeah, beat Zhao Jintong in the European. That was it. Great win, actually, there. Um, 5-4. Um, so he'll be in good spirits after that. But Yambing Tower, um, you know... There's these these uh, these top sixteen matches held over. There's always going to be clear favourites. So I don't want to sound too boring, but that chunk of four, then I'd be sticking with the favourites in all of those. But I suppose Aaron Hill has as much chance as any of them against Jan. Yeah, uh, good good summing up there. I, I mean, you're right about Selt having quite a few wins. I noticed that over Trump, all in kind of short matches. But mm-hmm. this is a short match, so. He knows the way to the finish line against Chad. It wouldn't be an immense surprise if he won. Obviously, you know, in saying that, Judd's sort of a master at tending to get through these early rounds, even if he's sort of a bit half-baked and sort of playing his way into the tournament, he still tends to win. Sometimes 
so you know you put a four one four nil on the board and you think we hasn't even played half well there but that's the quality of those those really really top players of course and uh yeah Barry Hawkins and Rianne actually played in a, a match in, in a European tour event nearly nearly a decade ago Hawkins winning four one with Rianne I get very frustrated watching her actually I'm you know I'm, I'm sure not 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 a hundredth as frustrated as she is as you say by not being able to quite get over the line because there are times you think, God, she's looking good. She's so smooth. She has a sort of lovely style around the table. But then she just, I said before, she lets the cue ball go too often for me. Mm. And, um, you know, she it's that tight cue ball control, he says, from the armchair. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, that, it's that that you kind of think she needs to kind of work on, really. But, yes, it will be an interesting match. And, uh, yeah, we, we, Sean Murphy, you think, will be favourite there. I mean... Thing about Yan Bing Tao is we say it again time and time again, it's a temperament thing, isn't it? With him, it, it's so strong, and of course, he had a good run in Belfast, didn't he? So, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on in this second home nations event of the season for sure. Uh, later on that Monday afternoon, just trying to get some matches up here actually, but I'm um, not having too much luck. But I've got them down here anyway Stuart Bingham against On Yi, Jack Lisowski, Mark Joyce, Oliver Sykes, Alan Taylor, and Mark Selby, Sanderson Lam. Um, well, of course, Onyi was close to being Craig Stedman, uh, wasn't she? She was 4-2 up and ended up only losing that match 5-4. But she did have a heavy defeat since then against Martin Gould, 5-0 uh, in the uh, qualifying for the European Masters. Uh, Bingham is always capable of stringing enough wins to, together to go all the way, frankly. And, of course, what strikes me is it's getting nearer and nearer to the UK. And when Stuart was on here, he was talking about tailoring his... Yeah, all season, but certainly opening part of the season. So now I'm going to be looking at him and thinking, what sort of form are you in with the UK just around the corner? Um, Joyce did beat Lazowski 4 3 at the Riga Masters uh, a couple of years ago. And actually, Lazowski's had a few dodgy results this season, hasn't he? Including that 4 0 defeat to Jackson Page in Northern Ireland. So uh, he might be, you know, having a feeling a little bit of pressure maybe to, to, to try and have a sort of half decent run here. Oh, Horrifying date of birth alert, Phil. Oliver Sykes. Uh, worse for me than you, of course. Born on December the 12th, 2005. Wow, yeah. Crikey. Yeah, I, was, I don't know a, lot, a whole lot about Oliver Sykes, to be honest. Um, but yeah, that'd be interesting to watch. <laughs> He's a, a very young player. Uh, wow, yeah, I didn't realise he was that young. Uh, that'd be interesting to watch. <laughs> well, Alan Taylor looked in decent form at times, actually, um, in the early part of this season. Certainly put uh, plenty of wins on the board. Uh, he'll, 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 he'll be expecting to win that one. Mark Selby uh, will certainly be expecting to beat Sanderson Lam. I mean, I saw they played three times and it's an aggregate score of 12-1 to Selby. So, <laughs> uh, yes, you, you think he might get through there sort of with, with ease, Mark. He'll be looking to put... You know, his, his, would it be his first win since, since Sheffield, wouldn't it now, six months ago now? So, you know, he, he'll want to kick off for the season. But what have you got to say about those matches, if anything? I mean, you know, frankly, we want to see Rianne and Onyi win matches, don't we? That's the thing, because it'll be so good for the profile, not just of them, but of the sport. And, uh, well, it might not come soon. They've both got tough, tough tasks here, but they're both showing patches, don't they? Just just how much quality they they have got. It's just that consistency across matches that they're kind of lacking at the moment. Yeah, and I, th I think the sort of the the assignments they've been given here probably are too much. Uh, yeah, I mean, Onyi 
looked very good at, for a lot of that Stedman match. Um, and just she said uh, to me that she just got so nervous, couldn't get over the line. Um, and yeah, it, when their results come, it'll be, I don't think it'll be against guys in the top 16. Um, of course it could. I'm not ruling that out. They're short games and they're capable. But uh, yeah, I'd be very surprised if only you beat uh, Bingham here. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It would be nice to see them get results result at some point because... I guess for those, for them themselves, the longer it goes, the the more pressure comes on getting it. So yeah, they'd want to get it out of the way as soon as possible. Um, I was just reading about Oliver Sykes, he's only fifteen, yeah, which is uh, crazy. Him and Paul Deville got um, got places in this tournament thanks through the EPSB and their their performances in the sort of the youth uh, tournaments. Uh, so yeah, good luck to him. <laughs> if a fifteen year old can win on tour, then best of luck to him. But that'll be very difficult, but. Yeah, Lasowski, um I still fancy him to win that. Um, he's he's lost one or two, hasn't he? But he's not. He's just not played that much. He's a lot of these top team guys we just haven't seen a lot of. Um, he lost to Liam Highfield in the German, but then he he, he beat Lichtenberg quite comfortably in the European. So yeah, it's just hard to tell what form they're in a lot of the time because um, yeah, a few of these guys. Hawkins is another one. I feel like I've not really seen him play since Sheffield. Um, he obviously has played a few games, but. It's easy to miss them. So, yeah, uh, hopefully from now until Christmas, we'll see these guys a lot more regularly and we can judge how they are playing. No, it's a good point you make and you're, you, you're right to make that. It, it reminds me a little bit of when you get you see football lines, you know, like you know, Brentford haven't beaten, you know, Sheffield Wednesday since 1954. Well, I've actually <laughs> only played twice, you know. Is it <laughs> one of those ones? I always think you be careful with those stats. And, yes, yeah, so I'm sort of... No, noticing, God, it's a while since so-and-so's recorded a decent win or they're struggling to perform, but it's been a bitty season, hasn't it? We've got to keep remembering that. We had a very, very short tournament format-wise in, in, in August, then a massive break, then home nations in Northern Ireland, which is short. This is short. So, you know, <laughs> it's just the nature of it. it again, let, I say we're covid bit COVID pandemic obsessed. We're not really. We're just reflecting the way life is. And that and that's the that's the underlying reason for all this, isn't it? Unfortunately. So we're not seeing as much of these guys as as, as we'd have liked. But listen, <clears throat> it's the old um, I think as we said when Daniel Clark was on here. By the way, the Daniel Clark episode over the thousand downloads, Barry. I know I'm a bit obsessed by numbers sometimes, but while Alan McManus is doing brilliantly, well over a thousand downloads and um, you know, over the week. And I think, you know, maybe even getting over two thousand plays across Apple devices. Um, that that episode with Daniel Clark earlier in October is also on the thousand downloads. So people, we're really getting good numbers. First, we've got to say before we forget, thanks very much to, to our listeners for tuning in. And uh, the, the, the rain is coming tipping down here. This is a, a filthy autumn morning in London. What's it like in Reading? Yeah, appalling. Yeah, yeah. Men are taking the dogs out today, which I don't want to. But yeah, great, great days for downloading and listening to podcasts. Though, so yeah, thanks again for yeah. We always we always think it. Uh, uh, we're we're very grateful for everyone uh, giving us a listen. Exactly, and and the lovely things you've been saying as well about the podcast in recent days on social media and and, and emailing us. Thank you for that. We're on to Monday night now. Uh, tomorrow night here in the UK, Mark Lloyd against Paul Deville. Uh, Lloyd in for Mark Williams, actually, who, as we know, has withdrawn. We wish Mark well, as we said earlier in the in this episode. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, David Lilly. Well, I mean, we mentioned, didn't we, live on air about Ronnie's, uh, you know, unlikely five uh, 0 defeat uh, uh, at the start of this week, and he, you know, he's obviously 
you know, if it's a switched on Ronnie, he'll win this. Otherwise, David Lilly might fancy his chances type thing. Uh, John Higgins against uh, Zhao Jambo. Well, the, the word there is hangover. Is there a hangover for Higgins after what happened in Belfast? Probably not with his experience, but maybe a little one. And uh, he obviously had that defeat, as we mentioned, to knock on in, in the German Masters qualifying. Uh, yeah, again, Robertson, Andy Hicks. Yes, I, I've written Robertson, another one who needs to get his season going. But again, as you rightly point out, hasn't played that much. Didn't mm. play in the earlier events. Of course, he had a very important life event of his own, Phil. And then he reached the last third for two in Belfast. So his season hasn't really got going yet. So he'll want to put that right. Because obviously, when you think about these guys, the likes of, you know, the Robertsons, the Higgins, the really big names, um, the Binghams, you know, talk about the UK is around the corner. The champion of champions first for most of them then the UK, and then, of course, the World Grand Prix in Scottish. So, and even further afield, the Masters. This next two months is when you see sort of, you know, for boys to, to, to men type thing. This is when the top players usually step up to the play, isn't it? We should be seeing that now. And, well, Mark Allen and Luca Purcell um, could be a cracker. Their last meeting was uh, Purcell winning 6-5 at the Masters a couple mm. of years. I think when that, that was when Allen was um, the, the champion, actually. So more of the same on, on Monday there would be good. What have you got to say about those matches, then, if anything? We're seeing some of the well, the greats of all time in Ronnie and John Higgins and uh, Robertson and Allen. So, yeah, um, I should say it's my special anniversary day on Monday, uh, Phil. And, uh, well, I can't think of anything better to celebrate my birthday than settling down with a bit of Class of 92, half an eye on Neil, Mark Allen. I mean, you know... It, I know how to live, don't I? You know, I, I, I could go out on the town, paint the town red, you know, go anywhere and you know have a you know, a gay old time. But no, I'll be a point. Eyes will be on the screen, thinking about you in Milton Keynes and and enjoying some lovely bass action. <laughs> yeah, well, happy birthday for tomorrow, and uh, yeah, it's, you've got a treat there. There's some great games. I think Alan Braysell is definitely the, the standout one. Um, and yeah, they, they both seem to be playing very well. As we, we said, Alan was unlucky to lose to Akani, but he's not playing badly. But Luke has been picking up some great results. Um, beat Bingham 5-1 at the German, which is no mean feat. And then beat Wu Yizza by the same scoreline to reach the main stages. And then beat Barry Pinchers 5-1 as well in the, in the European. So he's strolling to victories at the minute. Um uh, so yeah that should be a cracker uh, hopefully they'll both keep that form up there um, the rest of them you'd expect to be more one-sided certainly Robertson's another one we don't, we don't really feel like we've seen very much of him at all um, you'd expect him to be Andy Hicks uh, oh, Sullivan against Lilly he's interesting David Lilly's playing alright he seems to have got some good results so as you say if, if Ronnie's not not there mentally uh then there's the chance of an upset. I don't think they've played before. Um, but yeah, that, that will be interesting. Obviously, O'Sullivan's going to be a favourite, but I think it'll be close. I don't think he'll just uh, blow the World Seniors champion away. Um, and then there's a couple of other interesting ones. There's some back against Tom Ford and Gary Wilson against Ben Wollaston, um, which a couple of nice early round ties. Um, but yeah, there's you mentioned the, the Grand Prix there, and that's actually coming around quite quickly, isn't it, really? There's this... Champion championship doesn't champion champions doesn't count, um, and then the UK and the Scottish. But I guess it's pretty much every player's aim at the start of the season to try and get into that Grand Prix, the top thirty-two on the one-year list. Um, most players will fancy the chances of of doing that, and 
there's there not too many chances um, to get up those rankings. So uh, wins are very important, even for the big names, because um, they've not been able to play much. Um, some of the big names are right down on that one-year list. So pressure is on to, to get into that, because if you get into that, that's boosted chances greatly of getting into the players and tour later in the season. So, yeah, that, that's that's going to be a big talking point of this and the UK and the Scottish getting into that Grand Prix before Christmas. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Alan Brosell's my my favourite game there. Uh, O'Sullivan Lily's going to be interesting because we just don't know what Ronnie's doing. Uh, and I'd expect Neil to sort of stroll past Sandy Hicks. No disrespect to the, the veteran there, but Neil Robertson's just a very good player. Yeah, very fair summing up all round, really. Uh, it reminds me, actually, I was struck by McManus when he was on with us talking about Ronnie, because he was kind of backing up what we were sort of saying, that Ronnie was in a weird mood for about the first half of the of the Northern Ireland, like he didn't want to be there. I think he went out on a Thursday, didn't he? He was, he was sort of basically a belligerent, really, I would say, and a bit... Um, Sulky sounds a bit rude, but it was a, it was a bit like that. He was he was very off in interviews. Really, didn't really want to be there that much. Classic Ronnie. It's what he's like. Let's face it. You know, to some extent, we'd all be the bloody same, wouldn't we? We all have bad moods. You know, and he, we'd have we'd have you know three or four day periods when we didn't fancy it, whoever we were. But it, then the rest of the week, it was he, he turned into a different human. <laughs> he was you know loving it. You know laughing at shots, purring about the snooker he was seeing, particularly about John Higgins. So I'll be interested to see the sort of dynamic we see with Ronnie in this coming week, you know, because um, as you say, his history with English is <laughs> your sideways look at life thing. Well, as you, as you sort of already suggested, his sideways look at Crawley was complaining that the, the place smelt of urine yeah. and, and it was basically, uh, yes, not a very good <laughs> venue. It reminds me I was on Love Sport Radio. They're now... Um, departed Love Sport Radio and, and and said that I think the day after when I was on there that um, well we all know that you get all sorts of smells or I think I, th- I think I said we all know that at, at leisure centres you get you, you get smells all of their own or something like that and the presenters are <laughs> not we do know about that but um we, well I don't know about you but we, that, that that was a classic week of Ronnie bringing the game into repute actually because there was you know we 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 went, basically went from at Metro, which is my predominant place of work, we went from probably having a little bit of a digest, if we were lucky, a few lines here and there, to Ronnie being on the back page. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Snooker being on the back page. It's, it's, it's that old thing. It's why Barry Hearn comes on here and says, don't worry, Ronnie's Ronnie, because, you know, it's that publicity thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got to remember that these, while we love these tournaments, uh, they, they do sort of go under the radar of the generals public, even the, the sports fans probably don't know a lot about what's going on at the English Open. So, yeah, just to have them covered, even if it's for dodgy reasons like that, uh, yeah, it's no bad thing, really. You just get snooker back in the, in the national psyche, um, not encouraging players to go out and say things like that. But if they do happen, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Um, yeah, and I was just looking at Ronnie last year. I'd forgotten, actually. He lost 4-1 to Matthew Stevens, didn't he? In, uh, in the English Open, I'd forgotten about that result. It was actually quite a memorable game. Now, now I now I do remember it. Um, so yeah, uh, he's funny in the home nations, Ronnie, isn't he? He's he's, he's won a lot of games. Um, he's been to a lot of finals. Obviously, those three in Northern Ireland. Um, but yeah, just uh, quite mixed results. Of the, uh, yeah, in terms of getting his hands on the trophy. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. He's he said as a, as I mentioned before, he's 
He's made similarly negative comments about Milton Keynes as he did about Crawley. Not as bad. Crawley really did get the the brunt of his ire. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if he's changed his tune about Milton Keynes this year or whether maybe absence has made the heart grow fonder. Maybe he's been missing Milton Keynes. We'll see. <laughs> or maybe he'll say both. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, on Monday. Right. <laughs> maybe Very on Monday. <laughs> on Monday, he can't say it. He can't stand it. On Tuesday, he'll like it. On Wednesday, he'll be in between. Anyway, it's, always, <laughs> it's all part of the magic of Bonnie, as we as we know. Um, yeah, some last 64 matches. I think you mentioned Wilson and Wollaston. That's an interesting one. Certainly, Wilson obviously showing at the British Open uh, that he means business this season, reaching the final there. Um, but but uh, so that's that's one to look out for. Ben Wilson, you know, you know, good player has been to ranking event final in the past, so that could be a nice competitive match to look at. Alexander Ersenbacher against uh, uh, Tom Ford uh, is another one that I've picked out here to, that might be worth looking at. Mark Davis, Graham Dot, combined age of ninety three. We'll see. Some, <laughs> we'll see some ring craft there, Phil Hay. Uh, Stephen Hendry, Chris Wakelin. Now. Um, that's a repeat of a match at the British Open that, that Hendry won, actually. So, uh, again, short format. Let's see if Hendry can put another, that this um, new Stephen Hendry, this late life Stephen Hendry, late snooker life, that is. Let's see if we can put another win on the board. And I want to mention Anthony Hamilton, which I'm going to pass the floor to you a bit, because you're the one that's been, um, you know, hailing Anthony, friend of the podcast, of course. Um, good victories for him. You know, one one over Mark King that I noticed in European Masters qualifying, but he's only, he has he, you know he's got his issues. Anthony, well documented, told us about enough of them, of course, on here. But um, a bit of life in the old dog yet? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I spoke to him last season. And it was in Wales, and it was a really sort of depressing interview, really, because he come out, he just won a match, and I was thinking, oh, he's going to be he's going to be buzzing here because he hadn't won many, and he was just saying. Um, I'm expecting to be forced into retirement quite soon. My eyes are in a terrible situation. And that added to his other injuries, back problems, neck, uh, all his issues with his cue and stuff, all sorts of going wrong. But um, he's, he found a way to win some matches. I, I tweeted this out. He, he's, he's played 11 now this season, won seven, lost three, drawn one, which isn't too bad at all. And two of those losses were to Judd Trump. So you can forgive him them as well. Um, so yeah, he's um, he's battling through it, and fair play because he, he does have a tough time of it. He's fifty years old now, um, and yeah, he's playing he's playing Rory McLeod. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, he played Rory. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, you'd probably make him favourite for that. So um, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, best of luck to him. Um, we know how much he's he's got to deal with, and he's he's doing it admirably. Um, and yeah, I picked out similar matches to to you there, Gilbert versus O'Donnell again. We reckon Gilbert um, is one of the contenders for the tournament, the way he's playing. So you'd fancy him against O'Donnell, although Martin's a very good player. And then um, Wu Yizer, I was going to mention again. He is sort of quietly uh, living up to a player to watch tag. He's not done anything that sort of grabbed headlines yet. He has been winning matches, um, as he had to do to reach this stage. He won a qualifying match. So, um You'd, you'd sort of fancy him against Ross Muir, but that'd be a good test to see where he is now. Um, so that's one to look at. And um, yeah, Dot versus Davis. I actually had a look at their head to head. And it wasn't so much, it, Davis leads at 7 5, which um, might be a surprise, might not. I guess you'd expect it to be reasonably level. But it was just where they played their games caught my eye and I was just scrolling through their games. They've played each other in major tournaments in. 
Brazil, China, India, Germany, and Latvia, as well as, of course, in the <laughs> UK. But I enjoyed that sort of globe-trotting nature of the Dot Davis rivalry. They've been all over the world together. So, um, yeah, now they, they end up in Milton Keynes. What, what, what year was their first meeting? Now? I don't mean to put you on the spot. Have you got it there? I'd like to, I'd be interested to see that. I can, I can rustle it up. I don't have it on the <laughs> yeah. but... And why but yeah, you- I'm gonna I'm gonna check that I've got that I'm gonna check that I've got that Maguire King right because I'm I'm gonna be annoyed if I did get that wrong actually. And I and I'm gonna it was 90, it was the 99 UK. I started doubting myself thinking, you know, that does seem quite very young in the Maguire snooker life, but it was. Yeah, when 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 was your one then? Well, actually surprisingly late for Dot and Davis. It was 2005. Oh <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's that's quite surprising the other way, really, isn't it? They played in, in the UK again in 2005. Um, but yeah, they've been globe trotting together ever since. <laughs> well, the main thing to say is, Phil, let's settle back in, shall we, for a great week of snooker. We're getting towards that thing now. We're pretty much at it now. We're going into November. Alan McManus calls it the winter swing. For the next three or four months, it's going to be blissful snooker all the way. We've barely got days off, let alone weeks <laughs> off. So, um, Everyone should hopefully enjoy it, shouldn't they? It's a, it's, it's a second home nation. It's a big tournament on television. Eurosport will do great coverage, of course, and it will be free to air in the UK on, on Quest. I imagine the same sort of arrangement that they, the afternoon plays on, and then later in the tournament, you get virtually all of it. Certainly the first semi. I think football interrupts the second semi, but the final will be live free to air. So loads of snooker to watch, loads of stories for us to write and talk about. And we're looking forward to it, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's... it's- it's a nice sort of mix of tournaments as well. Now it gets an, uh, underway properly. Um, we've got this this week and then the Champion Champions and the UK. They're all um, got different feels to them, I would say. Um, and yeah, all, all very enjoyable in their own ways. And yeah, big name, big names galore across all three. Um, building up to, yeah, well, yeah, the UK, I suppose. You know, it's the first first triple crown of the season so yeah lots to look forward to um well it's hard to predict still i don't i don't i think we spoke before and we said we're not going to make any predictions that's probably wise because it's it's tricky um as we say the the lot of the big names not been playing a lot um so we'll see you expect you expect the same sort of names that are at the business end of every tournament to be there again but you never know with these short tournaments there's there's usually one one lesser, lower-ranked player out the blue reaches a quarter or a semi sometimes. But, yeah, uh, we won't make any wild predictions, but we're looking forward to it. <laughs> well, it strikes me that Kyron's very consistent usually and always reached his sort of last eight, last four. He hasn't been doing that. So I think law of averages, he might have a good run. But, you know, as you say, bloody hell. Um, this is why George Wayham and uh, people like that and uh, our friend Richard Mann at Sporting Life, who we'll have on here one day, and uh, hopefully not not too far in distance too. Those guys have our, our admiration, don't they? Because they study these things inside out, and even they'll say sometimes, "Blood is bloody hard to predict these tournaments." But uh, yeah. well, Phil, I know that um, we love our marathon episodes. I think it's fair to say um, it's become a bit of a USP. But we wanted to keep this around about the hour mark, so we're going to just finish off with a bit of correspondence. I know it sounds barking mad, and we're doing two and a half hour episodes to say we're a bit behind. We're a little bit. We've got three. <laughs> To read out here, and uh, let's go to it before we uh, before we depart and, and leave everyone to get on with their Sundays. Uh, Steve Dunn here on email. Hey guys, yet another point on formats. Sorry, I know this is a constant topic, but as, as the T20 World Cup 
is uh, on now. I've realised something. I think a lot of sports have seen the way T20 has completely transformed cricket and its popularity and seek to emulate that. The obvious place that snooker does this is the shootout and generally with shorter match uh, formats elsewhere. Now, I like the variety of formats and enjoy the shootout too, but I've realised something. Cricket doesn't function like snooker. In cricket, they take it in turns to score as highly as they can, whereas in snooker, they're both fighting over the same frame. So what actually happens a lot in the shootout is the frame is now so meaningful, it becomes defensive because the players can't afford to lose it. It's actually the opposite of the T20 result. I don't really have a solution, but I thought it was a point worth making. Simply making a sport shorter doesn't necessarily make it more attacking. I'm sure if football was 10 minutes and a half, it would be more likely to end nil-nil, not the other way round. If I was to posit ideas for how to more emulate cricket, it seems like you would uh, go down the route of the amount of shots you can have. For example, T20 means you can have six times 20, 120 balls to score as highly as possible. The equivalent of this in snooker would be something like this. Each player gets 20 shots per frame and the one with the highest points wins. This way, you can still have a lot of frames because they go by so fast. That's not really something I'm suggesting we should have, but I think that avenue gets us closer to a format that achieves what world snooker are looking for, an all-out attacking thought. Anyway, as I said, just food for thought. Keen to hear your thoughts on this, Steve. I love the way out. I love the way our snooker brains work, Phil. What, 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 what a delightful email from Steve. Well, you know, one thing I did scribble down, I do remember Rod Lawler playing the shootout. We know, we know, we know Rod's not the, the fastest player on tour, but he played, he had a few good wins in the shootouts I've seen. I remember Phil Yates once saying, oh, talking about ring craft, proper good ring craft there from Rod. He played about five or six minutes of safety shots to win a match. He had a very small lead but that's enough in that format so I know what Steve means you can get defensive play and I think we had a brief chat off air and you made a good point that actually to some extent it's still snooker you know it's not a different sport you still have to be defensive at times but yeah I'm not sure about that about that taking a number of shots I mean it might be interesting to do it as an experiment but uh once but uh, yeah I think that you know that that might not really satisfy too much I think we like the normal scoring of a frame, don't we? But it's a good point. And I haven't actually watched too much of the cricket so far. I know England are going very well. They keep having big, heavy wins. And, and obviously, we know that all sport is going down this shorter format route as attention spans supposedly get um, you know, shorter and shorter. Certainly, um, and I see it in young members of my family, you know, um, that it, it, it is true that they tend to you know particularly teenagers consume sport in bite-sized formats so you can see why all sports are trying to go down this route but um we like the shootout don't we you know generally as it is but he has some he has some decent points Steve that you know in the round you can still have negative play in that format yeah and I think especially the shootout because if you foul you just ball in hand and then you know at this level that's such a massive advantage so if you're it's not necessarily negative, but if you try and get someone in a snooker that they can't get out of, then you know that's that's not far off winning the frame because you've got get ball in hand from there. You you're laughing. Um, I'd never really thought of it so much in the shooter. As you say, it's like the odd frame might be like that, um, but I definitely did notice it in the British Open, the best of five. Um, there were some real. I don't really want to say negativity, but people 
terrified of losing the first frame, definitely, and losing any frames. And that's where we, we got a, a lot of really long matches for a best of fives. And I think that, that that's where he's right there, that the short of the format doesn't necessarily lend itself to crash, bang, wallop, attack, attacking flake. It can go the opposite way because everyone's scared of, you now they've got hardly any chance to get back. Um, and that definitely happened at the British Open. Um, some of those matches seem to go on forever, considering it was such a short format. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one um, with no time limit on things, as, as he says. Um, is, there's no there's no restrictions in terms of how how you play or how long you can take to play, however, even though it's short frame. So, yeah, um, as I said, I don't, I don't think he was suggesting bringing anything in there. It was more sort of thoughts. And I, I do agree with him on lots of thoughts, but no, I don't want to see restrictions on number of shots or anything. No. Uh, but an interesting idea. Definitely. And those sort of thoughts, pretty much any snooker thoughts, but those kind of um, in-depth thoughts about formats and tournaments are always mo- much appreciated mm. by us because um, and, and it's always a fascinating insight to how how sort of deeply we can go into sort of our love of snooker and, and, and the way these different events work. So we love those. Thanks very much indeed for contacting us, Steve. Uh, Keith Hart on email. Hi, lads. I'm really enjoying your podcast. A very welcome addition to Snooker's media family. Thank you, uh, Keith. A complicated question follows which a mate of mine asked me and I couldn't answer. What happens if a player is in an impossible position on the table to hit the object ball without fouling? For example, a player pots a red and somehow leaves the cue ball very close to the green pocket and the cue ball is surrounded by three ball colours with no escape. Is a miss called until snoopers are required stage uh, reached? Regards, Keith from Limerick in Ireland, P.S. Limerick is a city of about 70,000 people with no snooker tables available to the public. The last club closed during the pandemic, with the exception of one club in Limerick, which is closed to new members. A sad state of affairs. We're very sorry to hear that, of course. And it's a a problem across Ireland as much as it is uh, in England, Scotland and Wales, of course. Um, Well, we asked a friend of the podcast, Monica Sulkowska. We didn't just guess, Phil. We, we, we went to the tour referee that we know so well to give us a proper, proper answer. And, and Monica uh, kindly gave us the uh, a part of the uh, extensive snooker rules book here that's, that's relevant. Uh, the striker shall, to the best of his ability, endeavour to hit the ball on or a ball that could be on after a red has been potted. If the referee considers the rule infringed, he shall call foul and miss unless... One, any player needed penalty points before or as a result of the stroke being played and the referee is satisfied the miss was not intentional. Or two, a situation exists where it is impossible to hit the ball on. In the latter case, it must be assumed the striker is attempted to hit the ball on providing that he plays, he or she, directly or indirectly at the ball on with sufficient strength in the referee's opinion to reach the ball on but for the obstructing ball or balls. Now, people will have fallen asleep during that, potentially, Phil. Bloody hell. But I'm a, I'm a bit conscious of that. That, that. that wasn't the most illuminating thing I've ever read out on any, any kind of broadcast. But the important thing is, I've seen this a couple of times in matches. Sometimes you are in virtually impossible situations. If you make a decent effort and you're hitting the ball in the right direction with the right pace, the referee can show discretion and not call a miss. And that's, that's the important thing to say there. Thanks to Monica. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's it's a very funny sport in some ways, but you're never going to be 
they couldn't possibly make you continue play to get out of snookers if it was impossible to get out of there. So yeah, uh, yeah, there's some common sense comes into there eventually, definitely. Definitely, and thank you for that, Keith. We're going to finish with Simon Grant. What a lovely email this is. Now, Dave Hendon has said on Snooker Scene podcast that he's noticed a trend of people coming back to snooker in the pandemic. And I've had similar thoughts and met people and had people contact us here. And this is, again, along those lines. Simon Grant says to us on email, Hi, Phil and Nick. You've mentioned a couple of times about how people are getting back into snooker. Well, I am that person. Before lockdown last year, I hadn't watched a single frame for well over 30 years. No real reason, just went off it. Maybe it was all that Jim Davidson snooker loopy stuff. Couldn't abide all that. Well, I mean, we can't blame people if they say that Jim Davidson put them off things. But anyway, that's the point I'm Jim had a Jim was a fine entertainer back in the day, but I think, yeah, he's um he's not the most, you know, um, maybe appealing character in his, in his new guys, let's say that. Anyway, I'm not sure which tournament they were showing on Eurosport last year, but it was Judd Trump that got me hooked again. It was just lovely watching his fluid playing style and entertaining shots. I know he was a local Bristol boy from the same suburb as me, and his dad played at my dad's old snooker club, but I hadn't realised how successful he's been. He doesn't generate any column inches in the local media here, either printed, radio or TV. You think that having one of the greatest snooker players might get some applause, but not, it seems, here in Bristol. They're just not interested. I was also quite surprised how many of the players and commentators, pundits, I still knew. Well, yeah, that says a lot. It certainly felt like meeting up with some old friends, but I know Trump said some things on that subject. Well, to Phil Haig, of course. I've also wondered something. Why don't players have their own rests? I'm sure the ones kept under the table are the same weight and size, etc., but surely each player would prefer their own. Maybe they're not allowed. I'm sure you will know the answer. I now watch as many tournaments as I can and listen to yours and David Hendon's podcast. The Snooker is back. Really enjoy your podcast. Keep up the excellent work. Very best wishes, Simon. Well, I think on the rest, it's, they're probably a bit too identical to really worry about that, aren't they? That shots are played too rarely, really. That, that would be my thought there. That it's just not really worth it. Not relevant enough. But generally, Phil, Lovely to hear from Simon and people coming back to snooker. Now, I said it before, I think it might be linked to a comfort thing. People going back to comforting things in what has been a very discomforting time, frankly. And uh, it's lovely. Any, any, any messages like that, if you've also come back to snooker, we know many of you love Dave's podcast and, and, and that's been very important in that process. Hopefully us a bit more now. We're, we're much newer, of course. And generally enjoying it on television, the extensive coverage on free to air as well as Eurosport, people getting back into it, reading more, watching more. We love that, don't we? Yeah, superb. That was a really nice email. And it was nice that Judd, Judd was the person who got him back into that because I, I don't want <laughs> well, it's nothing to do with me, but it sort of seems like there's a sort of Judd being against the older Stuka community, whether that be fans or uh, people within the sport. Um, but he certainly doesn't mean to be like that, I don't think. And it's nice that sort of people getting back into the game because of Judd, because obviously he's an incredible player to say. Um, and that really did surprise me about the local Bristol news not being that bothered, because you know I've been uh, I follow some local uh, media and I've spent time at local newspapers and stuff. And usually you're pretty desperate for any stars to emerge from your local areas to cover. If you've got a world champion, the world number one coming from there, you'd think you'd be uh, 
lapping that up. So that is very strange. Um, but yeah, no, uh, great to see that fans are coming back because you know, this, it's a strange time for everyone, isn't it? Uh, in all in all sports, and uh, there's been some negativity this season about this state of the calendar and stuff. But in general, snooker is in a great place. Uh, so yeah, it's good. It's it's a good time to get people back into it, or people coming in for the first time. So yeah, great to see. Yeah, good man. Now, I wasn't going to say this, but actually, now now we've thought a bit more about that that Bristol point. Let us know what the local press is like in your area uh, for players. Maybe thinking about the Welsh media with people like Mark Williams, or what it's like in the sort of Kettering area for Tyrone. Maybe Essex mm. for uh, likes of Stuart Bingham uh, and Ali Carter. Uh, which you know, where, where, wherever it is geographically, you know, we, we, Leicester and Mark Selby. I'm sure the Leicester press must must go quite big over Selby. Um, but let us know because that that will be interesting to us certainly as journalists and as snooker fans as well uh, to, to, to get a bit more of a handle on what the local press are doing with regard to these top stars. Phil, just over an hour. It's like a this is like a like a a short sharp burst for us. It's like an episode of the Neighbours. As compared to the as compared to the the Bond film of of of, of the Alamut Manor, so yeah, this is a bite sized talking snooker. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose people are going to have a lot of actual snooker to watch this week, so they can't be wasting their time listening to us. So yeah, get 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 this listened to, and then enjoy the snooker. Do enjoy it all. We back next Monday, won't we, to review the tournament, to review the English Open, and that's hopefully going to be on the, on November the eighth, as well as look ahead to the champion of champions. So we won't do our, we probably won't do, that's what we're thinking, our usual Sunday, or not usual, but we often do the Sunday night thing after a final. Probably won't do it this time because it makes more practical sense to know the champion of champions lineup, which we're expecting next Monday. And then we can kind of talk about both. And then, well, little tease, we might be having a game soon, Phil. So we could, we, we, you know, we can see, we'll probably see very quickly why we prefer to be on the side of the fence talking and writing about the game rather than playing it. But um, again, let's make no promises. We tried to do it recently, it didn't quite work out. It's a difficult world right now, but we intend to play soon, don't we, sir? So, um, and, and yeah, the, talking, yeah. the talking snooker trophy. Yeah, as with everything, when I, whenever I uh, play snooker, I really look forward to it for quite a while. And then after about half an hour, I'm just furious with how bad I am at it. So I'm sure that'll happen again. Uh, but no, I'm looking forward to that. We'll see We'll see who comes out on top and we'll have a chat through it. Yeah. Well, there's one other point. Um, this is a minor point, really, but um, I wanted to mention about the European. Uh, Sam Craigie pulled out because of, he just had injury on the World Snooker Tour uh, release. And uh, I got in contact with him and I didn't realise this, but he, he had a car crash a couple of years ago and it's left him with... Um, bad sort of neck and back and shoulder issues that flare up every so often. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, and he said it just got too much for him at this start uh, point. Um, and he's been to see a chiropractor, but every so often it just gets, uh, it gets very painful. So that's why he's pulled out of that. And uh, hopefully they can come up with sort of a long-term solution for that because that's, it's not good news if that's, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of injuries that a lot of players end up with late in their career, but uh He's only in his 20s, so hopefully that, uh, that'll sort itself out because um, he had a couple of good results in the German. So, yeah, best wishes to him. Yeah, sorry to hear that. I mean, that's the thing with those kind of accidents, sadly, you know, not just the, you know, the the, the initial impact, but that it can be so long-lasting, can't it, mm. on the neck, injuries, back injuries. So, we obviously, we wish him well, but, that, yeah, no, th- thank you for, for, for mentioning that. It's important. Um, 
enjoy the English Open, sir. Enjoy your trip to Milton Keynes. And uh, we'll be like ships in the night, but hopefully we might get at least half the gossip between us with our respective visits. And I'll join you <laughs> again. I'll join you again next Monday. But uh, doing do relish the tournament. I know you always do. Yeah, and you too. Yeah, I think we're covering most of it between us. But in there, I think there's a couple of days in the middle. But uh, yeah, I'm heading there first thing tomorrow morning. So looking forward to it. Uh, and yeah, I hope everyone else enjoys the tournament too. It should be a good one. Keep your thoughts coming to us. I think we're pretty much up to date with correspondence now, but always looking for new uh, emails and tweets, of course. So email us talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. Talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. Tweet us at talkingsnooker. Thank you very much for your company. Enjoy a sumptuous week of snooker to come. For now, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.